So according to one U.S.-based family institute, there are about 18.3 million kids in America who live without a father in their home. That amounts to about one in every four kids in our country. In fact, no other country in the world has as high a rate of children in single-parent households as in America. This family institute states that the data suggests that more kids are likely growing up with a television in their bedroom than with both biological parents in the home. Now, why does all this matter? It matters because studies have shown that the children from single-parent households are more likely to suffer from mental health battles and from behavioral disorders. Children without fathers are statistically more likely to run away from home or to live in homelessness. They're statistically more likely to abuse substances like drugs and alcohol, to struggle in school or drop out of school altogether. Children without fathers are more likely to demonstrate violent behavior and are far more likely to go to prison than kids in two-parent households. You see, a father who is present makes a big difference. And a father who is present and active in the life of his family makes an even bigger difference. And I know that we have many fathers in this room who are present and active in the lives of their family. And in their children, you guide them, you teach them, and you care for them. So to all you dads, thank you for what you do. Thank you for being faithful to your families and to the role that God has blessed you with. I'm thankful that I was blessed to grow up in a home where my dad was not only present, but very active in the lives of his kids. He came to my sporting events, my soccer games, my basketball games. He helped me with my homework. And most importantly, he pointed me to Jesus. I think there were a lot of times where I didn't even realize, though, how much my dad cared for me and loved me. In fact, I remember one time in high school where that became a true reality for me, and that really hit me how much he cared for me. See, once I was at a basketball camp here in Florida, keep in mind I'm originally from Maryland, and I flew to basketball camp and was here with some friends, and on the very first day of camp, I broke my ankle. Call my parents from one of the offices there at the camp, and I begged my parents to let me stay there that week. I told them I'd just learn from the sidelines. My friends were there. I didn't want to leave. They said it was okay. When the week ended and I flew back home, I mentioned in passing to my parents that one of my friends had snuck his cell phone into the dorm rooms. We weren't supposed to have them that week. And I still remember how hurt my dad when he was when he looked at me and said, uh, so you're saying that all week we were wondering how you were and you could have called and told us, but you never did. I didn't realize how worried he had been until he said that. And I remember realizing how blessed I was to have a dad who cared for me. And I know that many of you have been blessed the same way. Uh, you have a father or a father figure in your life who's blessed you. I want us to look at his story today. This is a man who didn't have a chance to have a relationship with his father. But he was impacted by a different father figure in his life. And that man was Moses. Many of us know the story of Moses. And you might know that Moses' biological father was a man named Amram. 
But we don't know a lot about Amram. We can gather that he was a man of faith, but he wasn't able to be present in Moses' life. That's because to protect his son from a murderous ruler of Egypt, Amram and his wife Jochebed hid their infant son in the Nile. After they did that, he was discovered by a daughter of Pharaoh. And that lady, she adopted the child. She named him Moses and raised him. We don't know a lot about those 40 years that Moses spent living with the Egyptians while his fellow Hebrews were living as slaves in the land of Egypt. But Exodus chapter 2 picks up. Well, go ahead and join me. Turn to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd still encourage you to follow along. You can do that using one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those Bibles, you can turn to page 45. Page 45, Exodus chapter 2. And at this point in the story, Moses began to reject his adopted heritage, and he began to venture out among the Hebrews who were enslaved. When he did that, Moses saw an Egyptian abusing an Israelite slave. And he reacted by killing that Egyptian. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15, where we read this. It says, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. Flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why'd you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Verse 21 tells us that Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Let's stop right here. We are introduced in these verses to a man named Ruel, who elsewhere is referred to as Jethro. Some of us may know him by that name. Maybe you've heard of Jethro in the Bible. And we're told that this man was a, a priest of Midian who had seven daughters. Now, this man took a liking to Moses to the point that after a time he gave him one of his daughters in marriage. Moses, who knew very little of his biological family and had abandoned his adoptive family, he now had a, a new family. He now had a wife who later gave birth to two sons. He now had a father-in-law. And apparently, Moses and his father-in-law, they got along pretty well. And we know that because the gap of time between what we just read and the opening of Exodus chapter 3 is 40 years. We learned that in Acts chapter 7. Forty years passes between the end of Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 3. So let's see where Moses is 40 years later. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Then he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Forty years later, decades later, Moses, still living in Midian and working for his father-in-law. 
And I don't know if I'm just the only one who's impressed by that. Because I'm reading the story and thinking to myself that I, I love my father-in-law. And I know that my father-in-law loves me. And I have a feeling that if I called him on the phone and said, Dan, I would really like to come and work for you at Schaefer Insurance. I have a feeling that Dan would be confused, but that he would make that happen. But I can't help but think that if I stayed and worked for Dan for 40 years, that with my sarcasm, we would not be as close at the end of those 40 years. Because working with family can be tough. But you know what? Moses and Jethro, they seem to have made it work for 40 years. Moses and his new family, they lived in the same area as Jethro. Moses worked for him. Zipporah got to see her father all the time. Their kids got to see their grandfather regularly. That must have been a blessing for them. Something we can be sure of is that Jethro, he was a present father and father-in-law and grandfather. But if this was all that we knew of Jethro's story, I don't know that it would really be worth noting this Father's Day. I mean, being present is good. But there's, there's more to his story that I want us to see. If you're following along, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. In this chapter, we have reason to believe that Jethro, he was more than just present, but he was active in the life of his family. Exodus chapter 18. Now, to bring you up to speed, so we are, of course, jumping a number of chapters here. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses has led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. God did many incredible miracles during that time. And in the beginning of chapter 18, we're told that Jethro had heard of all the things that God had done for them. We're going to pick up together in verse 5 of chapter 18. It says this. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. And Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law, All right, you can go ahead and keep your place there. We'll pause for just a minute. Come back to Exodus chapter 18. So at the beginning of this, we have that sweet family reunion. So Jethro brings Zipporah and her sons to be with Moses. Another good indicator, by the way, of Jethro's care and love for his family, how he watched over them 
for a time and then brought them to Moses. And when he does, Moses tells Jethro all the incredible things God had done for Israel. How God had demonstrated his power to Pharaoh and the Egyptians countless times through things like turning the water of the Nile to blood, raining down hail from heaven. How God had brought plagues like frogs and flies on the land and how God delivered them by parting the Red Sea so Israel could cross over on dry land and then brought those same waters back over the pursuing Egyptians. And Jethro hears all these things and he praises God. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. So I feel that I should mention that there's some debate about Jethro, about whether or not he was a true follower of God. If you remember, when we were first introduced to him, we were told that he was a priest of, of Midian. And there are some who wonder whether he was a godly Gentile priest, kind of like Melchizedek, who we are introduced to in Genesis chapter 14. After all, the name Ruel means friend of God. That's possible, but none of this is really conclusive. What we do know is that after hearing of the things that God had done and seeing all these freed former slaves, Jethro couldn't help but recognize the supremacy of the one true God. See, it seems that this was the turning point for Jethro, the point at which he came to a conclusive faith in God. Whatever he may have believed before about God, uh, that he was one of many or that he didn't exist, Jethro certainly knew now that there is no God like the God of all creation, that he alone is real, and he alone can save. Moses and his family may have already been blessed by Jethro's presence in their lives, but I think they would be blessed far more now that Jethro was a father, a father-in-law, and a grandfather who believed in the one true God. And that's because a faith like that changes you, and a lot of you know that. A faith in God changes who you are and how you live. And I believe that Jethro's faith was evident, not only in the statement that he made and not only in the fact that he led them in a sacrifice to God, but also through what happened next. So let's look together in verse 13. It says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. 
Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, eh, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Jethro spends a little bit of time in the Israelite camp and he he sees Moses sitting as a judge for all these people. And, And keep in mind that the Israelites were not just a collective of a few families or a few hundred people. Now, Exodus chapter 12 tells us that when they left the land of Egypt, there were about 600,000 men in Israel. It wasn't even counting the women and the children. This was a big group, and Moses was the only one there to handle their legal disputes. Can you imagine how long you'd have to wait in line for that? Think of it this way. A lot of us like amusement parks, right? Sure we do. We like going to amusement parks. But if I am going to go on a ride and I see that the wait time is about an hour, I'm going to think really hard if that ride is worth it. And I might wait for it. I might even wait an hour and a half because rides are fun. But if it's two hours, I'm not waiting. Nothing's that fun. And these Israelites, they were waiting a lot longer than that to settle their disputes. Anything from their petty arguments to their big legal disputes, and they were waiting so long. And Jethro said, what are you doing? He said, you can't keep doing this. He said, you're going you're gonna to burn out, and you're going to wear all these people out. They're standing around from morning till evening. It's not good for any of you. And I understand there are some people who think that Jethro was wrong. There are some people who say, well, he was giving worldly advice to Moses. There are some people who say, well, if God called solution. But sometimes we forget that one of the ways God brings solutions to us is through the godly counsel of people he brings into our lives. And one of the great blessings in this life that some of us have experienced and that Moses experienced here is the godly advice and wisdom. Jethro saw how what Moses was doing was wearing on him. It wasn't good for the people. And I'm sure Jethro thought about the fact it wasn't good for Moses' family either. So let me explain why I believe that Jethro's advice was, in fact, godly advice. First, Jethro was encouraging Moses to continue fulfilling God's call on his life. He said, you must be the people's representative before God. But he was saying, look, there's just more wise and efficient ways to go about this. Jethro advised Moses to teach the people God's decrees and instructions to show them how to live. This would cut down on a lot of disputes if the people knew how to live. Not only that, it would help them settle a lot of their petty arguments. Then he said, find other capable leaders, men who fear God, or are going to be corrupt judges, nothing like that. You know, find the trustworthy ones and let them carry the load with you. The toughest cases would come to Moses. He would bring those before the Lord. Finally, Jethro said, if you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain. All these people will go home satisfied. That, that was godly wisdom for Moses. Because God's people, God's people do need to be taught his decrees and instructions and be shown how to live. That's always been the case. And It was good for Moses to allow other godly individuals to help carry the load. 
Even today, God's people are told in Galatians chapter 6 to bear one another's burdens. This doesn't mean that we take somebody's responsibility or their calling from them, but that we help one another along. Nobody was going to take Moses' calling from him, but by bringing others beside him, he could stand the strain of it all. The chapter ends by telling us that Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice. And Jethro's advice was a lasting blessing to Moses. If you want to see more of that, go home today and read Deuteronomy chapter 1. When some time has passed and Moses recaps a lot of things for the people and he brings up this whole situation because this was a blessing to him and to the Moses' family as well when he didn't have such a heavy burden on his shoulders. Now there's a lot that we don't know about Jethro. But we do know that he was, to some extent, he was a present father father-in-law and grandfather. Not only that, but I believe there's much evidence that we see that as he put his faith in the one true God, that he also began presenting godly advice to his family. And notice that he presented it as that, as advice that Moses could choose whether or not to follow. Thankfully, Moses did. He was blessed by it, just as many sons and sons-in-law are blessed by godly advice today. So what makes Jethro a father worth considering this Father's Day. It's not that he gave advice. I'm pretty sure that every father and father-in-law does that. It's that he gave advice that pointed back to God. He said, teach them what God has commanded. Enlist other godly men and do so as God commands. I mean, is it really any surprise that when Moses did all of this, he was relieved of his burden? Is it a surprise that he found himself more able to fulfill his God-given role? Godly advice is important, church. We should surround ourselves in our lives with people who will give godly advice. And how blessed are those who have fathers and father figures who can give advice like that to them. Surely Jethro was a blessing to Zipporah and his other six daughters, just as he was to Moses, and even more so now that Jethro knew the one true God. You see, here's, here's the truth this morning, church. Fatherhood, fatherhood is a great blessing, but fathers who point their children to God are a greater blessing. Fathers who point their children to God are an even greater blessing to their family. So to all you dads here this morning, I would encourage you to be great fathers. Be good fathers-in-law. Be wonderful grandfathers by being present in the lives of your family members, but by also actively pointing them to God, by giving godly advice. Know God in your life and then make Him. Because as you do that, your families, they'll be blessed by you. I hope that today is a blessing for everyone here as you celebrate those fathers in your lives. But maybe you're here, and as Pastor Richard mentioned before, maybe you're here and maybe you don't have a father in your life. Maybe he wasn't present for you. Or maybe he's passed away. If that's true, then I would encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, to remember and rejoice today that as a follower of Jesus, you have been adopted into God's family. That because of that, you can call him your heavenly father.
And remember that we have a perfect Heavenly Father who's always with us. He says in His Word, He will never leave us nor forsake us. He gives good gifts to His children. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. We have a Heavenly Father who cares for us, who is an active part of our lives. But if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given your life to Him, then I need you to understand before you go, please understand that if Jesus is not your Savior, then the truth is that you are not a part of God's family. In fact, the Bible says that if Jesus is not your Savior, right now you are separated from God, friend. And I want to just tell you about that for just a minute. You see, the Bible says that all of us have this problem in our lives, and that problem is that we've sinned. We've broken God's commands. So we do when we lie and cheat and steal and lust and take God's name in vain, and on and on that list goes. And our sin is a problem because those sins are separating us from God. He's holy and righteous. There's no sin in Him. And when this life ends, if our sin hasn't been taken care of, we're going to be separated forever from God in a place of torment called hell. And the bad news gets worse because the Bible says we can't make up for sin on our own. The good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for me and you. And Jesus came and did the thing that we can't do. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, Jesus willingly died on the cross. And when He did that, He was taking our place, our punishment for sin, all the wrath we deserve. After he died, Jesus was buried, and three days later, powerfully rose from the dead, because he's no mere man. He's exactly who he said he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. He's the only one who can rescue us from our sin. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And please understand that on the day you give your life to Jesus Christ, in that moment, Jesus will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. He will forget all your sins. In the moment you give your life to Him, Jesus will come and live within you and allow you to live and love in a way you have never lived and loved before. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you become a part of the greatest family on earth, the family of God. You'll have a Heavenly Father who will never lose you, who will never leave you, who will always love you and be there for you. And the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, Jesus will give you eternal life which means when this life is over, you'll be with Him for all eternity. Friend, if you have never made that decision, please know that you can do that before you leave here today. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's true for you and Jesus is not your Savior, please know that you don't have to leave the way that you came in today. Know that right now, you can go to Him for the forgiveness of your sins. There's no one way that you must pray it, but go to Him in faith and admit to Him that you're a sinner. That you know He died on the cross for you. You believe He rose from the dead. Friend, I'm asking Him to forgive you, to save you. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word that He will. And He'll adopt you into His family forever. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You that those of us who have made that decision can call You our Father. And God, we do thank You for the earthly fathers that You give to us because so many of them are wonderful. I pray You'd be with those here who have lost their fathers and never knew them, that You'd bring them comfort today. But the truth is, 
We know that all earthly fathers are imperfect. Also, I pray that we would rejoice today that we have a perfect Heavenly Father. That God, You are always with Your people. That as Your Son said, no one will ever snatch us out of Your hand. You won't lose us. You'll always be there to care for us. I pray that we would be the most thankful people because of that. I pray that as family in Christ, we would be united with one another, that we would encourage each other, carry one another's burdens. And Father, today, maybe there are some people here who need other Christians to come alongside them and rejoice with them. Or maybe there are some people who need some Christians to come alongside them and mourn with them because today's a hard day. But thank you that every day, those of us who are in Christ Jesus can cry out to you as our Father. And I pray if there's anyone here who still hasn't made that decision, that during this final song, they'd come and talk with me. They wouldn't leave this place. Father, we love you. But you prove every day you love us more. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.